welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we got a Q&A. It's a good day today, man. It's a good Monday. Good Monday. You got a lot on your plate. Got a lot on my plate, and I'm excited about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the shirts came out fucking dope. Pumped about those. The Tailored Life Apparel shirts are in. The crew socks are in. The crew neck where were hoodies. Gonna, where the, well, they're not hoodies. Where will they be for sale? When will they be for sale? Where? Oh, the website. Copy. Which isn't live yet. Okay. I mean, it's done, but we're just waiting on a few final photos that I'm, like I was telling you about earlier. Yep, yep. That we need to stage and take, and then the uh, the Tailored Life Apparel website will be up. Um, everything should be checking out to be in October like I had planned, which is great because yep. I was nervous it wasn't going to be because there's always like final details. You're like, oh shit, that's not what I wanted. Or like, you know, when you're communicating with suppliers and stuff. Um, but the crew necks and the shorts will be done and sent on the 29th. So we'll have everything ready to go. Um, the crazy thing about the apparel game too is like the second those hit the mail, I'm sending in new designs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you gotta, it takes, it's a process. You gotta go move into the next launch. Uh, but for people listening, like this will, they'll all go live in October. Everything that we're putting out will never be made again. Every launch is going to be exclusive. It's limited. This, we're not fucking Nike where they have a Nike shirt that you can get now and you can get two years from now. You yep. know what I mean? Like it's, it's per launch per season. Like we're doing most likely once every month or once every other month to start, um, who knows? Eventually it might be every few weeks. Like we don't know where it will go and how the trend will be. This is a new business for us, but, um, the first launch will be next month and there'll be a shirt, a crew neck hoodie shorts and crew neck or crew socks. Um, all of which is men's slash unisex. So we are doing all men's apparel. Like the brand is, is geared towards men. However, um, we're fully aware that a lot of women like oversized stuff right now. So dude, I even get like, I'll buy shirts and I'm like, ah, I don't like to fit that much. And then Shannon wears it as an oversized shirt. Mm. She has like five different shirts she loves wearing now that were shirts I wanted to buy for myself. Didn't fit me right. I just gave them to her. Sounds and now like they look like a female oversized shirt. Yeah. Which is like in style, you know? Um, the crew socks are obviously unisex. Those, you don't know, make men's socks really. Um, and then the, the mesh shorts, a lot of females are wearing like the over, like the basketball style boy shorts. So we got sizing for men and women on that. The crew neck is the oversized heavyweight material. Um, so women can wear that too. Uh, we'll have full description on the website of like how to order if you're a male or female, if you want it to be uh, like a snug fit or an oversized fit, like all that will be broken down. Totally. Um, but I'm pumped, man. That, that was really cool to get those in and to see everything coming together like I wanted to. And then, uh, Taken off tomorrow for the trip to see Jake and them. It was actually funny. I was like, uh, we were outside, all the kids last night at the cul-de-sac. And this one neighbor I, I just never really talked to. Um, he's super outgoing. Um, he reminds me of a, a redhead version of Travis Hunt. Mm. Like just very, just like questions, wants to know more about you. Just in, like easy to talk to kind of guy, you know? And so he has this huge Sounders flag in his, um, a Sounders flag and a New York Giants flag in his, garage which mm -hmm. is kind of random two teams so i asked him about the the giants and i was like are you from new york and he's like no i'm from pennsylvania i was like oh shit i'm going to pennsylvania tomorrow we're at lancaster he's like oh i have family that live in lancaster why are you going i was like oh that's 
this guy Jake, uh, he's a singer of a band. I don't know if you listen to metal. August Burns Red. I love August Burns Red. And I was like, no shit. Like, <laughs> small world. Definitely, if if you're in that niche, you probably know. Who they yeah, are. and if you're from there, yeah, that's I'm true sure. Too. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, but you don't meet a lot of random people that listen to hardcore metal Heavy music. Metal, yeah. You know, like metal metal especially like a, a a nice guy with like four kids he's always like the dad with the blow-up toy like doing all the fun stuff yeah. i just wasn't expecting him to want to listen to death metal you know yeah um but i'm excited about that so go out there i'm gonna probably record it as long as the footage comes out it'll be available for download to the public um pieces of it at least we're gonna put together it's i mean i'm gonna be there all day with his staff training the trainers so there's no way we're gonna put it all on video but at least the presentation part totally. uh, i'll try to capture um, but yeah, man, I'm excited. A lot of busy shit. That's good. It's been good. It's been a long week, but and we've been on a podcast grind, bender, dude. Like we recorded however many last week. Now we're recording one on a Monday, which we never do. Next week, I think I have five interviews scheduled. Five, damn. Yeah, I knew four. I think you just scheduled one more, dude. It's just been like, I mean, Joe DeFranco, Lori Christie King, Sam Miller, um, Steve Magnus, the author of Peak Performance. And I want to say I have one more on Wednesday. But maybe that's just our normal because we got to record a couple Q&As yeah. and topics. So it's going to be do a lot of podcasting. <laughs> Next week. Yeah. And we're looking at new headquarters space. Yep. I can't get that off my mind, man. Damn, bro. I'm put it all out there, dude. <laughs> Dumping it today. I mean, if, <laughs> if you put it out there, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, based on my conversation with God, there's really no reason, unless for some reason they decide they don't want to build the way we want to build, or they slap slap a price tag on there that is just out of this world. You said they gave you some generic numbers, yeah, which were totally fine. Um, but I'm really excited about that. It was funny I, when I posted on my story, like, "What am I doing?" Yeah, I had a few people that were like, "Is that going to be the Terror Life Apparel headquarters?" And <laughs> I was like, "Well, unfortunately, we got to make money first before the <laughs> have done one drop." Yeah. <laughs> We're in debt right now, <laughs> technically, as a business, because we paid for all this and haven't made any. But um, but I think it's going to be, dude, it's going to be so good yeah. for us. Like, for people listening, we're, our lease is up here. Uh, we love this place, but um, it's a warehouse, you know, and it's made great use. But the company really needs more office space. More professionalism. Yeah. So it's going to be nice to have. It'll be, it's a build-out, so... It's a shell right now, but we'll be able to build it exactly how we want to, which means multiple offices, podcast studio. Um, what did Gym. he call the front lobby place? Foyer. Foyer. I've never heard that in my life. Really? Yeah, he was saying that. I was just acting like I knew what he was talking about. <laughs> it's like a welcome room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got that after the one guy, Jared, was it? Yeah. He started talking about building it, and then I was like, oh, gotcha. That's yeah. what it is. Um, and then, yeah, the gym space. So it's got, I'm excited just to redesign and, yeah. you know what I mean, put it together. So Like a lobby. Yeah, it's going to be dope, man. Cool. Very, very excited. So. All right, well, let's uh, get into the questions today. We got a good amount of them. So we got the first one coming from Julie XO. It says, how did, you start, how did you start your business? What was years one through three look like? So it's kind of hard because I would look at like, it depends if you look at literal business, boom, boom, performance back then, Taylor Coach Method now, or career. Because when you get started in this career as a trainer or anything, you're not really like you're, you kind of are an entrepreneur in a sense, right? I was going to school, I was working a side job while I was doing a couple of different internships, starting a blog, like trying to just get my feet wet and do my own thing until 
I scored an internship that I could see myself going into a job, you know, and then I got hired on. And so it was like, at first it was just school, study, work, not in the industry, but just to make money while I wrote the blog, created content, helped people, got an internship, worked for free, got hired as a trainer, trained people for six and a half years while writing that same blog. And that's all like pre-social media, you know, like obviously I got an Instagram and, and social media while I was a trainer, but the blog is, is really what started the business itself. That's what the goal was to create a, like literally was to create a blog that made money. That was my idea. It's like my job will be a, a blogger, a blogger. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Um, later on I realized, Oh, like blog and then online coaching. But, um, if you look at the actual business, the first three years, um, year one, it was actually cool doing that, that interview I did. Um, uh, I think it was like Thursday or Friday last week with Andrew Coates. Um, it's his last interview for his podcast. He's retiring the podcast. Kind of cool that I was mm. like one of the last ones. Um, he, he, I was the last one he did, but he's going to air an episode after ours. That is apparently his old. Cause he had like somebody like Theo yeah. being with him and then he brought him back on to do a final episode. But, uh, it, it's very funny because he started his podcast around the same time I did shortly after I did. And he had somebody doing it with him just like I did. Theo. And he, went off on his own to start his own career in 2017, like I did. He went to an, a business event seminar to try to like learn and like that was like his initial motivation. Like I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to come back. I'm going to start my business. That event was the Vigor Ground Summit. That event I was at, met him there. That was the first time we met and I hadn't told anybody publicly that I was leaving Vigor at the time. So it was very weird that like all that happened. So when we got on the podcast, it was cool to kind of like reminisce over like how our careers grew totally. in different ways. Around I, the same time. Yeah, literally. Um, but year one was pretty interesting because it was in, so July like 6th or 7th was when Shannon found out she was pregnant because July 4th was on a Saturday. We were at my dad's for... Fourth of July. I'll never forget it because he looked at Shannon and told her that he wanted her to bring a princess in this world. And we like laughed. And I was like, Dad, stop drinking. Yeah. Because I was a little early for him to say that to <laughs> my girlfriend at the time. And then sure enough, she was. And, uh, but that was in July. And that's like probably a month before I decided to put my, my time in. I, not two weeks because I put in three months. Yeah. But I basically was like, Hey, I'm going to go off, do this on my own, figure this out, give up all my clients and, Tell me how much time you need me to transition out. So for three months, I basically slowly phased out my clients. It was like two months of me transitioning clients to other coaches and then one month of me just hanging out in the building. I literally would just sit at the front desk fucking writing blogs and just hanging out there and just answering questions and just being present. Um, because, you know, for six and a half years building relationships with people on the walls, like for me to just bounce and leave would have been pretty crazy and abrupt. Um, so out of respect and out of care for the clients, I was like, I, I want to do this the right way slowly. But, you know, the last month I wasn't making any money really. And then I got officially out October 2017. That's when I was like, okay, now I'm no longer going to the gym to train people. What am I going to do? Shannon was on maternity leave and I just started, I think we talked about this briefly recently. I just started doubling the amount of content I was doing. So for probably about the first year, it literally looked like, uh, a small, so when I first, in October, I think I had three clients maybe. So I was bringing money, but like, what is that? At the time, charging 150 bucks a month. Yeah. 450 bucks a month was my <laughs> my income. And uh, and so training those people and just creating so much content, um, 
podcasts, a little bit of YouTube, Facebook Lives, Facebook posts every day, posting in the Facebook groups I was in, writing a newsletter every single day, Instagram once or twice a day, stories constantly. Like it was just nonstop, creating free guides, ebooks, seminars, or webinars, I mean, whatever I could do. Um, and in that first year, the, the company grew considerably. I mean, by myself, just, just building my client roster in year one, 2017, from October 2017 to uh, October 2018, we grew significantly and I ended up having to get an assistant to help me manage things. And then after that, I hired Courtney, which was our first coach on the staff, to take some of my clients off my load and then start giving her clients. Um, and it was just, I mean, really, it was just a relentless hustle. I don't know, like years one through three was literally what I just said. That's what the first three years was yeah, um, maybe grind. two years. Yeah. Cause like by year yeah. three, we had more of a team cause we're not even in year five. Now think about it. October will be year five. It's crazy. Like okay. that's why I texted you almost five years of boom performance. Yeah. Wow. Cause technically I owned the LLC in 2015. I think I started it and I just paid the yearly fee yeah. without doing anything with it. But I left vigor and started being, just on my own and just like, okay, I'm going to actually build this company in 2017, October. I think it'll be six years. Think about it. 17 to 2020 would be six three years. Seven, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Almost six years. 2017 to 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Okay, you said you bought the LLC in 15? Yeah, but I didn't do anything with okay, that. Okay, so yeah. si- October 16 to 17. No, I know, but like, listen to me. I started the LLC and didn't have a single fucking client until 2017. Okay. So nobody would know that I had a company. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, it would be like getting your driver's license and not driving a car. Yeah. Would you say you've been driving since you got your license or since you started driving a car? Totally. You know I thought I mean? you had it for one year. No. You said you had it for two? I might have had it for three. It might have been one. I, I literally don't know. I literally left that Resurrection Week thing. Yeah. I was, like, on fire from this event, and I came home, signed up for an LLC to get my business license. And then went back to work and had to catch up on client stuff. And I was like, next week, I'm going to, like, pick this up. Okay, next week, I'm going to start doing stuff. And then a year passed, two years passed. You know what I mean? Like, Damn. I'd have to look at when I went to that event because I know I, I, I literally, I mean, in the state of Washington, you file, nobody has the name, cool, you just pay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I didn't have a Stripe account, didn't have a business account to take payments or anything. It's not making any money, you don't do anything. <laughs> exactly. So it's not a real business. Yeah. 2017, when I left Vigor is when I started, like, okay, now I have a separate bank account stripe to take payments and like start started actually like coaching people under totally. that business name um so it'll be five years in october this year but that's still infancy yeah you know what i mean so that's it's hard to say because I, I would say the first two years were just literally relentlessly creating content by myself and trying to just pull clients from that and help them and then year three is when like the team started growing you know i think year three is when we started actually toying with the idea of like this might become your full-time thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? 20, yeah. You know, yeah. That's when it happened. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, because 2017, I moved to Fife. So we were shooting content during that time and right before that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I moved to Fife in 2017. Yeah. But regardless, the first... Well, I, we were shooting content in 16 when you were still at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Going to that Magnolia... Yeah. Magnolia. Yeah. No, yeah. Magnolia was Magnolia, it. Magnolia, yeah. yeah. It's like an indoor park, skate... Or, Indoor soccer. There you uh, go. Yeah, skate park. <laughs> indoor soccer plays plus gym. Jesus. Shooting content with Kaiza there. Yep. Kaiza Fit. Um, that's crazy. But the first three years were just literally just pulling the trigger. Yep. You a know? lot. 
a lot. And that was just it, it's a volume game. I mean, even Alex Ramosi talks about this with like uh, organic content marketing and building your brand. Like the reason he wins, the reason Grant Cordone wins, the reason these people grow their following massively, and the reason they're able to build this big reach and stuff is because they post so fucking much. Grant Cordone was talking about this, and he said he posts it was like six to eight times a day. Wow. And and that's like just on one platform. So if you think about like he's he's doing that on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. He's probably got a YouTube presence. Alex Mosey's doing the same thing on all these two. It's just nuts. That doesn't include email marketing, Damn. podcasting. <laughs> they have a team. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. now like – and this is where it's different for people like us or people listening to this because I could say something on this podcast and I have a team of people listening and just taking quotes from me and putting down things and going, oh, that's a – we can turn that into a three-step system for an infographic that we'll yeah. post on Pinterest. And he doesn't even know what's going on. It's just people that know his brand and they're just fucking firing away. Yeah. It's insane. Six or seven times a day. Yeah. That's but crazy. For for somebody doing it themselves, like I was like, okay, well, I could post on Instagram once or twice a day. I could elaborate deeper on a podcast three times a week. Then I can turn that into one Facebook Live or YouTube video per week. And then I could write some newsletters every day, turn one of them into a blog that's a long-form in-depth thing you know what I mean like I was doing it at the highest capacity for one human being for sure and it could only yeah and it could only last so long because once you build a business you got to manage teams systems clients like you just can't but at first I think that's the best thing to do like don't worry about how many likes you get just keep pulling the trigger amen you know what I mean so love it all right we will go into the next question it is from Jenna Hosking Jen Hosking says how long should you stay on the same program for, i.e., when is it time to switch to a new program? I think this depends on quite a few factors. <clears throat> so the typical answer, like if I was to give a generic, like your training block. So we have microcycles, mesocycles, and macrocycles. Macrocycles is like the long-term plan. Be that a year, you can make it six months, whatever. Um, but if, if somebody's training for an event and they have two years until they're Ironman, they're training for two years, their macrocycle could be two years. It's just like, what's the long-term thing? Typically, it's, it's, a, it's like a full cycle. So let's say you're doing block periodization and let's say each block is six weeks and you have accumulation, um, realization, and, or I'm sorry, accumulation, intensification, realization. That's three blocks. Three times six is 18. 18 weeks could be your macro cycle. Or if you're supposed to go through it twice, it would have been 18 times two. And there that's you your macro cycle, you know, um, which is 36. So macro cycle is the big picture. Mesocycle is the block and the macro micro cycle would be your week. The the training program, how often should you train program? Typically, what people mean by that is your is your macro, your mesocycle, the one block. So if you're following a program, if you're in a that and that's the hard part is if you buy an eight week program, that eight week program could be two mesocycles. If you buy a twelve week program, it could be three mesocycles. Could be four mesocycles if they're three week blocks. So it depends. But typically, when somebody says it like this, they're usually meaning a mesocycle, which is one block or one you know string of weeks in their training focus. So that accumulation block is one mesocycle. Um, and the reality is, is if you're a gen pop person or just somebody looking for body composition changes. So if you're training for hypertrophy, if you're training for muscle maintenance while losing fat, if you're just training because you want to lose fat and you're trying to change for train for body composition changes, 
I wouldn't do block periodization anyway. The best type of periodization for somebody who's chasing body composition improvements is most likely going to be an undulated periodization model where you're doing multiple types of rep ranges and intensities throughout the week rather than focusing on one rep range and intensity for an entire block of training, be that four, five, six weeks long. Because then by the time you circle back to that style of training, there's like a, a learning curve. You got to catch back up to the gains you already have because you haven't trained in that intensity or rep range for a while. So training in multiple rep ranges throughout the week or per session is a much better way. So periodization kind of goes out the window for training for somebody who wants body composition changes. And it's more about programming than it is periodization. Totally. So knowing that what I would say to you is the, the best time to change your program will probably be anywhere between three to six weeks is what I usually recommend. Three being the shortest amount of time I like to uh, have a, a mesocycle or a block and then six weeks being the longest I like before changing it. Now, there's situations and times where you can change it after two weeks. There's situations and times where you can change it after, not change it for 12 weeks. You know what I mean? If you're, because the answer really is like, if you're making progress, you don't have to change anything. If you're stalled out, you probably need to change something. You know what I mean? If you're super advanced, you're more likely to stall out sooner because you have less gains to make, right? And there's no learning curve there. So if somebody new starts using different exercises in a training block, there's a one, two, three, four week process of like just the the neurological side of like, I got to get used to doing this. I've never done a Bulgarian split squat before. So how long does it take this individual to get the skill of doing a Bulgarian split squat down before they can start overloading it and progressing it week to week? So because of that, like the more advanced you get, the shorter the blocks can be or the programs can be. However, and this is where it gets super nuanced. On the other side of it, you could also say, what do you mean by program? Because if you're saying like right now I'm training for mainly strength, right? So talking first person. Yeah. Yep. From, for me personally. So am I talking about how long do I go before I change some of my accessory work and my exercises or before I get back to hypertrophy training, mm. you know, cause my program right now is focused on strength. I change my exercises every three weeks. That's my like mesocycle, but my program, my focus is going to be 12 to 16 weeks long. You know what I mean? Like I'm just changing this split squat to a the lunge pro the program and the focus are two different things they are yeah but people can get them confused you know what i mean so like it's because my because like if I, like when we sold ebooks you know the like functional muscle for example that was a 12-week program so how long would you go before you switch programs well the whole fucking 12 weeks yeah but the blocks were three weeks long so there's technically four blocks in that 12-week program and every four, uh, three weeks, the, pr the program would shift and we would change some of the exercises. Mm. So for some people, they're like, they could be asking this in two different ways. How long should I be training for this goal before I shift and start training different goals? Or how long should I be using these exercises before I change them? Um, I would say the, you, the length of time you should focus on one goal is going to be at least 12 weeks long. And upwards of as many weeks as you can progress still. I don't think crazy adaptations happen before 12 weeks. And the only time I would say, like, for example, I'm jumping into the strength block. If I'm doing it for four weeks long, four to, four to six weeks, do I really expect to see that much progress from strength? Probably I, not. I would hope not. Yeah. yeah. You're going to need more time to see really big gains. Now, I can tell you right now, I've already seen progress in far less than 12 weeks. But if I'm going to maximize the most potential of strength gains I can get, I got to stick with it for longer. However, the only situation I would say that you can get away with doing less is if the goal of changing the program is not to make gains in that focus, but 
to sensitize yourself to the, the previous focus. So mm-hmm. if I'm doing hypertrophy and I've been at it for 20 weeks and I'm just stalled out, like I'm focused on building muscle and now my program is no longer working for me because I've been doing it for 20 to 24 weeks straight in the same rep range, same intensity, same style of training. I switch to a strength block, which is going to be much lower volume, right? And heavier loads. And I do that for three, four, five weeks long, just so that my body doesn't get as, doesn't get used to, is no longer used to hypertrophy training again. So when I return to hypertrophy training, I'm very sensitive to it and my body responds rapidly again. And I start making progress again. And there is research for this. It's called desensitization. So you, you step away from strength or hypertrophy and go to strength or hypertrophy, the opposite, mm-hmm. so that your body gets sensitive to what you were doing in the past because it got so used to it. So your body's trying to adapt. So if it adapts too much to what you're doing, you're probably going to make slower progress, right? Because you're getting good at it. Same thing with like cardio. If you do the same cardio over and over and over again, you get really good at it. You're not burning as many calories as you once were. So unless you're goal is to be good at that cardio which would be the ideal situation for a runner or an athlete you you need to change it up because otherwise you're not burning calories like you want to um but with all that being said i think that kind of explains like the focus perspective now when we consider exercise selection if that's what we're referring to here like how long should a block be Uh, because let's say this person's like well i'm doing undulated periodization. So I have some low reps, some high reps, some ultra high lep, reps, moderate reps. I'm, I'm kind of hitting all these intensities, which I usually recommend for most gen pop people. And I don't think the sensitization phasing and the block, like the periodization makes any sense for somebody until they're super advanced and they're really focused on building muscle alone. Um, when you get to that point or, or when you're not at that point, you're just gen pop and you're doing some low reps and high reps and just kind of using an undulated model. I would say, again, three to six weeks, and it's going to depend on your level of experience. So the less experience you are, the more weeks you can consistently do before needing to change exercises up. The more advanced you are, you can get away with less. It's going to ch- depend on your personality type, um, which is some something most people don't think about. We talked about it in the uh, individualization tailored podcast, which I don't know if that's this, this is the last one. Okay. Um, and, uh, it's something we obviously do inside of our coaching when we were working with somebody and, and trying to like figure out their personality type because somebody who gets bored easily, somebody who, uh, that's going to affect their motivation. Right. Uh, and we want a higher level of, of discipline and motivation going into training. So you push it harder. But if you're bored, if you don't appreciate the program as much, if you're, if it's getting stale, if your mind's wandering elsewhere about different things, then you know, it's time to switch it up. There's even been times for me because that's me where I know I can make more progress logically speaking if I stuck with the program, but I can feel myself not being excited to do it anymore. So it makes more sense to change the program so that I I can push myself harder than it does to stick with the program because on paper it makes sense to progress that way. Um, So personality type is going to be a big factor there. Um, Experience level, um, your goal obviously as well, you know, like for example, there's research to show if your primary goal is strength, less variation and more uh, of the repeat about effects, so doing the same thing over and over and over again week after week makes more sense than hypertrophy, um, you can still do that and see great gains, but you can get away with more variation and changing it up more often for hypertrophy. And the reason is because hypertrophy is more based on your level of effort and the tension placed on the muscle. So you can get away with going to failure more often. Well, I can do a dumbbell lateral raise this week and next week and then a band one the week after, two weeks after that, cable three weeks after that, kettlebell, that would be too quick to progress that movement. But if if I'm able to push it harder because I'm changing it up, I'm able to go to failure more frequently 
and I'm going to get the same result. Okay. Now, for strength reasons, it, strength is specific, so it's a skill. So if I'm changing the variation of bench all the time, I'm not going to get really good at benching. But I could still crush my chest and build muscle. You know what I mean? So um, if your goal is more body composition related, you can get away with that um, a little bit more. But usually this lands everybody in between three to six weeks. So I have some clients where I push it to six weeks because they're more focused on strength or they're a beginner and I need them to like stay with the staples for longer to progress. Um, and then I have clients who are more advanced and for them I might change it every three weeks because I know that there's no learning curve. Week one, they already got it down. They can progress it. So it's like we can move it quicker and I don't want them to get bored. So kind of depends on those two things. But I would say three to six, three to six weeks for blocks and then – 12 to 16 weeks for actual program focus. Yeah. Dope. All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It it is from SI Grindstaff or SL Grindstaff. That's a lowercase or an uppercase, but it says, opinion on Hatfield squats. Better than normal squats for added stability and lack of machines? I love Hatfield squats. So for people listening, um, probably butcher this, Dave Hatfield? I think is his name. I can't remember, but maybe it's Steve, something generic. Um, it is, it's a very generic men's name. You look it up for us. No. Okay. Um, so a Hatfield squat is, uh, can you imagine if Jamie did that to Joe Rogan? Yeah. You pull that up now. Um, I thought you said, are you? I did. Oh, okay. I can't, I was, it's really show notes. It's really not important. Um, the Hatfield squat, I, think, I honestly think that's the only thing he's famous for anyway. Like, um, actually, that's not true. I think he, he did some periodization stuff. But, but essentially, like, you set up the squat rack. Like, you've seen me do those split squats where I'm holding the squat rack, right? Yeah. That's a half-field split squat. Okay. So a split squat, or I mean, a, a half-field squat is where you use a safety bar. So uh, for those listening, the safety bar is the one with the big pads that go around. Some people call it a football bar because it looks like football pads. And then you have handles in the front. Except you can balance it on your shoulders without using the handles. It's really easy to just set it on your shoulders and it'll just sit there. So what you do is you either hold the rack or you can set up pins. So some people put the pins, uh, the the or not even the pins, the uh, the plate holder pins that just go halfway in front of them. They can hold it. But basically what you're doing is you're doing a heavy back squat with a safety bar. The reason you're using safety bars is because you don't have to hold onto the bar and you can overload it and then you can hold onto the rack. When I hold onto the rack, it gives me some external stability so I don't have to focus on stability in my trunk and my core. So some would argue like that's not going to develop your core as much. 100%. It won't. Um, because you don't need to worry about trunk stability. You're not going to build a lot of trunk stiffness or strength because you're holding onto the rack. The rack's there for you. But I believe it is way better for building muscle because you don't have to worry about that. So if we remove the component of needing to create stability ourselves, we are more likely able to overload that movement with weight or volume through reps. And that's going to stimulate the muscle to a greater degree. We're going to take that muscle further and closer to failure, if not all the way to failure, more easily and safely without because we don't have to worry about that. So a good example of this would be a more obvious one. And I think it's more obvious because most people just they're so obsessed with bench squat deadlift that they're like, you got to do it, the, the squat the right way. Well, unless you're doing it as a competitive powerlifter, it doesn't fucking matter. What, what is going to allow you to overload the most? You know, people do this with straps too. They're like, well, yeah, but you shouldn't wear gloves. You shouldn't wear straps. I'm like, if you wear straps, is it going to help you lift heavier? Yes. Okay. Do that because that's going to build more muscle and you're still going to build grip strength. I would like, if somebody's like, I can't go above 80 pound dumbbells because my grip strength gives out. 
you're going to build just as much grip strength with 100-pound dumbbells with straps around your hands to hold them as you would 80 pounds without. Mm-hmm. Except now, whatever exercise you're doing, be that a row or a press or whatever, those muscles are going to grow more and get stronger because you're using a heavier load. You know what I mean? And if you really give a shit about your strength that much, go do some wrist curls yeah. or some farmer's walks. But a good example of this that people w- can relate to or uh, more easily like visualize would be if I said, what would build more muscle? A dumbbell military press. So the classic style where you're on the bench, the shorter bench, you can lean back against the bench and you're just doing overhead press, military press. Or a Z press, which is the same thing on the floor. Or you could even do it with like on a bench with no back support, basically. The point is, is you're doing an overhead press, military press without any back support. Nine times out of 10 people would say, obviously, the seated military press where you can lean up against the back of the bench. The reason is because if I lean up against the, the bench, I don't have to use my core to stabilize. I don't have to worry about my balance, right? I don't have to worry about thoracic stability or extension. So your mobility won't come into play. Um, therefore, I'm going to be able to lift heavier dumbbells if I have back support, right? It, it, same thing would be like a T-bar row, like a, the machine we have where we lay a, our chest against it. Do you think you could do more if that chest support wasn't there or was there? The obvious answer is if it's there. You're supported. You don't got to worry about shit. You just fucking pull that thing up. Whatever is going to allow us to do that, the exercises that are going to allow us to overload the best are the ones that provide, the machines that provide stability. And that's why I think he said, if you don't have machines. Because if you have a leg press, for example, you just got to worry about pushing that shit up. On a squat, back squat, you have to worry about the bar, holding it, gripping it, keeping your core tight, right position, walking away from the rack, all those things. The half-field squat, you just put the pads on your shoulders, grab the fucking rack for balance, squat away. Totally. So you're going to be able to overload more. So I love it. And, and I'm a big fan of all these kind of exercises for, again, gen pop people, which I classify as any, whether you're a beginner or advanced, anybody who is not competitively doing something is gen pop because you are literally in the general population. You are training just to train, train to look good, train to, like all I posted good. today, mow the lawn with your fucking shirt off. Yep. Simple stuff like that. Why would you not use exercises that allow you to overload in a more safe and injury free risk or injury risk free way you would people ask about the the trap bar all the time what do you think about trap bar versus the straight bar trap bar is less likely to hurt your back so do the trap bar yeah there's even research on they did a a study on trap bar versus straight bar for strength outcomes for deadlift yeah no difference so you can build just as much strength it's specific to what you do so if you have to competitively power lift with a straight bar you're not gonna be as good of it if you do trap bars but again I think people get so hung up on it's not a real deadlift that they end up hurting themselves trying to go super heavy. And it's like, why would you not just utilize the tools that we have made as intelligent lifters to be able to lift heavier, safer? Unless you're Unless you Exactly. Yeah. So, and even for, uh, if somebody's listening to this, they're like, why compete in bodybuilding? This still applies to you. Because if you can overload it safer, you're going to be able to build more muscle yeah. and train more consistently. Hat field squad does that. So if you're really worried about your trunk stiffness, do some side planks and sit-ups and you'll be fucking fine. Yeah. <laughs> like that'll build your core. I think his name is Fred. Who? Fred How Oh, it is. It is. Yep. Yep. Not even close. Steve. <laughs> I said Dave. Maybe Dave. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. We uh, got some more here. We will move on to Martin Cooper's. I'm probably butchering that, but that's a crazy name. Martin Coopers. If you have a chill evening with your wife and make your charcuterie board, do you count the macros? It's so funny because it's a crazy name. Martin Cooper sounds like such a normal name. For those listening, it's not spelt like it sounds. So Martin Cooper is not 
It probably isn't right, but anyway. I don't think I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm just saying, like, if you were like Dave, I don't know if I pronounced it right. That's a crazy <laughs> name, you know. Um, okay, so no, I don't. I definitely don't track the macros or calories on that. Uh, I was talking to a client about this the other day. Uh, one of my uh, clients hit me up and basically sent me um, pictures of his entire date night out. And it was like, show me how, how you can track this, right? Because he's trying to like get consistent with the stuff, right? And With his date nights or his macros? Everything. I oh. mean, we're just dialing things in. He's, he's already in good shape, but he wants to take us to the next level. And, and he's an entrepreneur. He's a gym owner and stuff. So I broke it down because you have to estimate quite a bit, right? So there was like the salmon with some kind of sauce on it and the sauce had some like peas in it and then some like herb stuff on there. But like you can look at it and go, okay, peas don't care about it. Herbs don't care about it. Sauce, quote unquote, find a generic sauce, track it. How much is it? Salmon, mm, probably six ounces, track it. Uh, there was like a spinach salad, spinach, one cup, feta or goat cheese, two tablespoons, walnuts, two tablespoons, like just the generic amounts, probably off, but close enough, right? Now, I finished this showing him how to do all that. And even like his his uh, drink, there was a drink. It was like some whiskey drink. Um, it was a really like foo-foo one. Like I was, he was like, don't judge me, but I got the, <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was funny. It's like the, the creamy peach something, like whatever. But there's whiskey in it or bourbon. And I just said, I was like, dude, track old fashioned. And add some cream if there's cream. But like Old Fashioned has a sugar cube in it. So a sugar cube is plenty of carbs. Whatever kind of liqueur or syrup they put in there is probably about the same. You know what I mean? You can make it real simple. But that gives you a general ballpark idea. You're probably somewhere in the right realms. Now, I could do that with the charcuterie board. But the reality is, number one, I don't want to know how many calories I actually eat there. Because I put down so much cheese. It's, it's just I don't want to think negatively about this. Yeah. And then number two, if it's – so there's two things here. One – it's consistent over time. So if I have a charcuterie board every single Saturday, and if it's not a charcuterie board, it's something probably similar, it ends up, it, it's an unchanged metric, right? So somebody asked me like, oh shit, I haven't been tracking my fish oil and we're eight weeks into the cut. Should I start tracking it? I'm like, no, just keep taking the exact same amount every single day. I've made adjustments based on your total fat per day. Now we just know that you're actually four or five grams higher than that number but it's still unchanged. We're yeah. still seeing progress. I'm still going to adjust off of what we're doing. Just keep taking it. Same exact thing. That security board's not going anywhere. So the rest of my week is based on like, it's one whole week. My adjustments to the rest of the week are going to still be applicable as long as that security board doesn't change. The other thing is that I'm able to manage it pretty well now because I've, I don't binge. So like I can like, we can sit there and graze and I know when I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to feel like shit if I keep going and I just stop. You know, and even from the wine perspective, I drink the same amount of wine every night because I know when it hits me, I'm like, okay, I need to stop. And that's, I'm done. I'm not going to black out. So if you are able to manage it properly, which doesn't always happen if somebody is new to dieting or if they've been restricting themselves for a long time, you probably do need to track it at first because you need to ease into it. And then eventually you can remove it. Um, Cause I've done that too. At first I did track my, my free meals and stuff like that. And I was able to slowly stop tracking cause I was able to just mindfully eat what was appropriate and not go overboard, but still enjoy myself. And, and you're more able to enjoy yourself when you don't track. So I think one, one night off tracking is healthy for a lot of people. I mean, I have a lot of clients that that's exactly what we do. It's like, let's just not track that night. Yeah. And that's what I finished the text with. I was like, here's how I would track it, but I don't think you should track it. Yeah. I was like, I think you should track tomorrow because as long as you get back on point tomorrow, you'll be fine. 
And this will be an unchanged metrics. Are you always going to have a date night on Saturday? Yep. Okay. Then we need to base the diet off of what's realistic for you, which is you're going to have a date night every Saturday, yeah. which means you're not going to track macros every Saturday. If that's just part of your plan, then that's part of your plan. Um, so I don't think there's any reason to, to track unless you need the practice. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, measuring, uh, especially fancy cheeses that don't have like commercial style labels, like Tillamook medium cheddar, that's easy to scan, you know, but some like, I got this weird fancy blue cheese that was like wrapped in foil and then like had like, it just like, when you look at the shelf, every one of them looks a little different because it's literally somebody cutting cheese in this factory or some shit in Seattle. It's different. So, um, it's probably not in my fitness pal. Yeah. You know, but. It's good. Yep. All right, cool. We will go to the next one. It says, it's from Strength and Grace. Uh, It says, if your adherence is 95% on point, but you are not seeing any changes, are are your hormones impacting any of your progress? It's a good question. Uh, I think it potentially could. Um, I think there's, there's, there's one situation where it would not. There's one situation where it, is but it's not like this crazy thing that people think it is and then there's one very rare situation where it's definitely your hormones so situation one where it's not you're 95 percent on point what does that five percent look like so there are times where going back to my charcuterie example i'm 95 percent on point coach and then you don't see their saturdays that's five percent we could say like you know we say 90 90 percent on point like right the 90 10 rule well, if you're 10% is like, I wake up, I go have donuts for breakfast with my daughter, then I take her to the fair and I have deep fried butter because they literally sell that at the fucking Puyallup Fair. It's disgusting. Deep fried butter. Oh yeah. You haven't seen that? No. Oh dude, the deep fried stand, they got deep fried butter, deep fried Snickers, deep fried ice cream. Whoa. It's disgusting. That's foul. Yeah. I mean, other ones sound good, but not butter. And we're wondering why America's fat. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> deep fried butter. Dude. All right. Go ahead. Talk about how rich that would be. Yeah. Um, so... I have some of that. Maybe I'm taking some of her cotton candy. And then I have a charcuterie board at night and drink. That's a 7,000 calorie day. Yeah. So that 5% from a time perspective is a whole lot more than 5% from an adherence or a calorie perspective. So knowing that, I would first say there are times where you might be 95% on point. But if your 5% is so far out of hand or your client's 5%, for example, that's going to be constantly setting you back. And then you're in this cycle of losing and gaining, losing and gaining, losing and gaining. So like you start to progress throughout the week or just get back to where you were Monday through Friday and then Saturday hits and then you have a big setback and then Sunday to Friday, you're getting back to where you were and it's just the cyclical pattern. Um, that would be a situation where it has nothing to do with your hormones. It just has everything to do with you have no control and you need to track seven days a week for a while to make sure that you're managing it properly. Um, and there's been plenty of times where I work with people like that. And instead of me having them have one day where they have more calories or a free day or anything. I'm saying, Hey, we're going to increase your calories across the week, but we're going to have seven days a week of hitting those macros. And we're not going to have a free meal for a while. You need to better manage your, uh, your under eating, overeating. So instead of dieting during the week, we're going to have a higher intake throughout the entire week. And we're just actually going to hit that, which will result in a net deficit on a weekly average situation two, where it would technically be hormones, but it's not as crazy as you think is just metabolic adaptation. Sometimes people have a more adaptive metabolism. And in this regard, you might be 95% on point, but if you've lost weight, if you are definitely in a deficit, if things are working properly, then metabolic adaptation will occur. And technically that is a hormonal thing happening. Your metabolism, your thyroid, cortisol, all these hormones are playing a role in 
uh, the overall slowdown, essentially, um, whether it's because of weight loss, which is a good thing. If you lose weight, you need less calories to maintain your body mass because your body mass is smaller, which was your goal. So metabolic adaptation is actually like a, a trophy. It's, it's a sign of success. And then the other regard is if your calories are too low, metabolic adaptation will occur too. So you might have a more adaptive metabolism and maybe metabolic adaptation hits you sooner or picks up faster and you don't get to your goal before it hits you like it does some people. It's very 50-50, uh, meaning that you might have to just dig a little bit deeper. So yes, it is a hormonal thing, but just because your hormones are slowing progress down doesn't mean that your hormones are making it impossible to lose weight. Hormones and energy balance work together. It's, it's a very synchronous process. I think that's the word. But basically that means... As your hormones slow down, it affects energy balance, meaning you have to create a bigger deficit. It is causing energy balance equation to be less favorable maybe, but it's not eliminating the fact that energy balance is still the primary driver of fat loss, meaning you still have to create a deficit. It's just that now you might have to go, oh, well, now I'm going to have to create a 10, 15% bigger deficit, right? I can't just make that small tick down and expect to lose weight. I'm going to have to make a bigger tick down because my hormones are causing that deficit required to be bigger than what I thought it was going to be. Sure. Energy balance still still wins. Um, and then the third situation would be, yes, hormones. But typically that's going to be, you know, the rare case where somebody's hormones are so negatively impacted that it's causing those ne- the, the, that to happen. Like I, I can think of, um, I, I don't even want to try to attempt what it's called because it, it's, Addison's comes to mind, but I don't think that's what it is. I think it's a different disorder. But essentially, um, there is a disorder where you have chronically elevated cortisol levels, like abnormally high. Um, And I've had a few clients with this, and you do have to get pretty tricky with meal timing and and calories and and trying to manage stress better because your cortisol is constantly elevated, which is causing a stress response that could be unfavorable for fat loss, primarily through adherence because the main reason cortisol is going to stop fat loss from happening is because it can cause stress-related cravings. Cortisol is a mobilization hormone. So if you're protecting your muscle tissue by having enough protein and strength training, then it's going to mobilize fat tissue, which is fat burning. So to say cortisol stops fat loss is actually incorrect because it, 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 the job of cortisol is to break down tissue for fuel. Yeah. So if you're protecting your muscle and it's not burning off muscle, then it's probably going to be burning off fat. Um, but there is some certain uh, circumstances where uh, it's, it's rare, but uh, – Theoretically speaking, your cortisol could be too high for too long, and that could cause the thyroid T3, T4 conversion to slow down. So basically, your thyroid hormone takes a hit because the stress levels in cortisol are too high. Your thyroid plays a big role in your metabolism being healthy. So there are situations where we can go down this hormone rabbit hole, and it causes the energy balance equation to be kind of screwy, and your metabolism to slow down more than it should. Um, But even in that regard, it just, again, just makes it more and more. And that's like a really bad, vicious cycle because all that's really doing, it's not stopping fat loss. It's making it harder harder to accomplish fat loss because the the deficit you have to create to lose fat just gets bigger and bigger. Because if if your metabolism does slow down, but you're not at your weight loss goal, you just have to create an even bigger deficit to lose weight. And that's very hard to sustain and adhere to, which means that it's not that it's not working. It's that you're eating too much. But it doesn't feel like you're eating too much because you're not eating that much, generally speaking. But your body's not in the right place to lose fat. Um, And when stress is high, cravings are higher, adherence is harder, motivation is lower, making it even harder. You know what I mean? So it is a bad place to be in, which is why, like, I think both sides have it wrong in regards to coaching where it's like the hormone side is like, 
we we just have to like your hormones are stopping you from losing weight. Well, not technically. And then the other side is like you just need a bigger deficit. Well, that doesn't do shit for the person. The best way to coach this person is to coach them on life, coach them how to manage stress, change their training, change their sleep, change their routines, change the foods they're eating to promote more health, better recovery, uh, better nutrient timing to facilitate lower cortisol levels, better recovery for training, and better adherence to the calories that you do have. And then as you manage stress, you get them to a place where they can go into a deficit. I have a few clients I can think of right now that we are planning on dieting we're waiting for the right time because they have a lot of things going on in their life. And right now our focus is fueling performance, recovery, and managing stress. Totally. And the second we're in a place where we can do it, we're going to flip the switch and we're going to go into a diet. But you have to be able to coach them just through that. feedback. Yeah. You just have to be able to coach them through that though. So. Love it. Yeah. Loaded question, but really good one. Cool. All right. That was the last question for today. Any announcements? We've kind of already dropped some bombs already. This yeah. Week. A lot of, uh. A lot of exciting announcements that I already kind of shared. Uh, just the the normal, guys, if you need help with coaching, if any of this resonated with you and you feel like you are stuck and you want to finally lose fat, build muscle, change your body composition, that is what we do best. Head over to taylorcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching or click the link in the description. We would love to talk with you for free and show you how we can help you get your results. To check out any supplements, firstform.com slash method. And last but not least, giantlifting.com. You can use TCM10 to save 10% on any of your fitness equipment. All right, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.